0: For part one of our fourth interview, Dr. Rebecca Flick chats with Dr. Togus Talandi. Sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy what we think are valuable lessons about our history, sparking innovation, and newer surgical applications of reproductive surgery. Good afternoon, I'm here with Dr. Tulandi. Um, as many of you probably know, Dr. Tulandi is Professor and Chair of the Department of OBGYN. Um, he's also Milton Yong Chair in Reproductive Medicine at McGill University. Um, Besides his medical degrees, he has a master's of science in healthcare management from Harvard University. He's authored over 400 articles, 60 book chapters, and 14 books. He's past president of our Society for Reproductive Surgeons, the Canadian Fertility and Andrology Society, and the Fellowship Board of the American Association um, for Gynecologic Laparoscopists, the AGL. He's internationally known for reproductive and minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, and he is editor in chief for the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology Canada. Dr. Tulandi is a recipient of many awards, including the Award of Excellence in Reproductive Medicine and the Society of Reproductive Surgeons Distinguished Surgeon Award. Dr. Tulandi is routinely listed as one of the best doctors in Canada. And I think many of us in the United States would agree um, at, at home here as well. Um, So it's my pleasure to be interviewing Dr. Tulandi for our series on surgical legends. Um, Dr. Tulandi, I I always think of you as part of my surgical family tree. I don't know if you know this, but um, we're connected through Dr. Falcone. I know you trained him in Canada. um, And then I spent many years working with him um, as a fellow and staff at Cleveland Clinic. So I think we share a little bit distanced relationship, but we kind of come from the same tree. So that's part of the reason that I was excited to be talking with you today. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so welcome. Um, so I don't know if you can see on the screen, we asked you to send us some younger pictures of yourself, but it looks like we're looking in a mirror. You haven't changed a day.
1: Well, um, maybe you need a new glasses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so share with us, what are these three pictures?
1: Well, I think that the middle one is when I was a student and then the, the right hand side is when I was a junior staff and the left hand side is um is um, I was with Dr. Isaacson and Doliviera in one of the meetings. I can't remember where, but certainly it looks like it's nice and sunny.
0: You seem to be having a good time.
1: It seems like we was very hard. <laughs> the
0: middle picture is when you were a student where?
1: I was a student in Indonesia and then at McGill. Well
0: that kind leads me into the first question. We would love to know just a little bit about you, your background, your family, and kind of what got you to here.
1: Well, uh, I have a a wife who is a family physician, a son, also a family physician, and a daughter who is a lawyer. And we just have, I think we have two brunette granddaughters, (laughs) three and one years old.
0: Oh, how fun! Those are great ages. Um, what brought you to medicine?
1: Good question. Actually, uh, I think it came by default. I really like uh, to do to to look after patients, to care of patients, and nobody in my family I was a doctor. My brother was a pharmacist in LA. I have a sister, my late sister was in Denver, and we have a whole bunch of cousins and nieces in in California and in new Jersey. so i'm I'm the only one in Canada. They say, why well, you're there, freezing your butt. so but I'm here.
0: So you're the black sheep. That's it <laughs> How long have you been working um in our in in reproductive surgery?
1: Oh, I think it's so over 30 years. I started wow. when, yeah, I was a fellow and then carry on. And that's uh, I, I enjoy doing this.
0: And was this always your passion?
1: My passion is surgery. In fact, uh, I, I applied for surgical residency before. Uh, I got it, but um, the chief resident said you should become a gynecologist rather than a surgeon. So I followed him.
0: What made him think that you should be a gynecologist?
1: I don't know, actually. And then (laughs) I look after his daughter, actually, I'm operating her tomorrow. Uh,
0: hmm. And this was all in Canada, correct?
1: This is all in Canada, correct.
0: And were they very accepting of a surgical presence within gynecology when you started out?
1: Uh, No, I think, uh, well, at that time, it's... Infertility was not very popular. Uh, I think one, I was one of the first uh, uh, fellows. Uh, it was under Dr. Brian Little, who was uh, the chair in Case Western before he became the chair at McGill.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, it was
1: not very popular at that time. Did you feel it was an uphill battle for you too? Well, uh, I think I was one of the first. so A lot of people came to me for infertility and also for surgery. And then i um, you know, I did it by laparoscopy. So uh, we got busy just by doing that.
0: Share with us what you can about the early days of laparoscopy. There's so much that we take
1: for granted now. Yeah, it's very interesting. And we, we used, uh, I think we, we were lucky because we, 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 we have been doing laparoscopy before the surgeon. Uh, tumor ligation, this and that. So we just expanded. Uh, Well, at that time, the tools were poor. Uh, So we expanded to become laparoscopic surgery. And I did, I think with Dr. Falcone, we did the first hysterectomy by laparoscopy. Uh, It was fun, but (laughs) the, the instruments were crude at that time and we got better instruments got better, technology got better.
0: Yeah, he describes it as laparoscopy by candlelight. Like what did, what did your setup
1: look like then? Well, it, I won't I won't go to candlelight, but uh, <laughs> the setup was fine. I think when, when we first started, we were still looking um, on the lens, but it didn't take long. And then we, we started to, to go to a video camera and, Dr. Nezat called it video, video, video laparoscopy. Mm-hmm. And so we, 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 we I think we, we were kind of fast in doing that. So in, a, in, a, in a one or two years, we, are, we were doing video laparoscopy.
0: How, how long did you keep the patient in the hospital after that first laparoscopic hysterectomy?
1: Oh, laparoscopic hysterectomy, we, we kept the, actually we kept overnight.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: just overnight even now but now we we send them home same day
0: yeah for sure interesting well you must have overseen a massive evolution in the field um from the first days of laparoscopy till now what do you think is the biggest change
1: i think the biggest change is um i think surgeons are getting better they're doing more uh more invasive procedure like uh, endometriosis stage four, uh, colorectal rectal resection for endometriosis. Uh, we have a gynecology surgeon. He does uh colon resection here. He does uh, urethral uh, repair of the urethral injury himself. He does everything and he's a surgeon. He's a surgeon from France. And wow. he is a, a very good surgeon.
0: Trained you, and
1: we all have our mentors. Who who were your mentors? I think I I started by myself. I trained myself, and I, basically we we applied laparatomy technique to laparoscopy. And I look up at uh, Victor Gommel although I've never worked under him, but he was one of the first doing that. He was, I think, a generation ahead of me.
0: That's still our goal, right? Like with my trainees, I often say we don't want to sell anyone short by doing a minimally invasive procedure. They need to have all the benefits of an open procedure just done laparoscopically. Um, So I think that is still very much our theme. Do you agree?
1: Oh, yeah. I think think we we should not uh, cut corners by laparoscopy. Uh, We should do exactly the same like we normally do by laparotomy. just apply it to laparoscopy. Yeah. Including the sutures, including for third class, I use Mercillin tape. Some people use suture. Yeah. Because it's easier.
0: So it sounds like you kind of found your own way in these early days. I, who who was part of your surgical cohort? I certainly have mine, but, but who were people that you compared notes with as you were finding your way?
1: Well, I think I I, I talked to Victor Gomel often. Uh, but you'll be happy to know he's also he's
0: also being featured in the Surgical Legend series, so okay. you'll be in good company with him.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I spoke to Victor, and he, he does it by, laparosc- by laparoscopy by laparotomy. Then, but I do it by laparoscopy, uh, and then we have uh, Doctor Falcone, uh, who is just uh, a few years uh, before before me, after me actually, a few years after me. And my mentor is um, Rob McGinnis, who, who was at the Mass General until he retired. It's actually with John Pedrosa yeah. a few years back, yeah.
0: Early in your career, um, what was the element of reproductive surgery that that you were the most curious about? Was it the tubes? Was it the uterus, the ovary, implantation? Like what was your focus early on?
1: The, the tubes. In yeah. fact, I think we, I was lucky because the, cha- the chief of the department allowed me to use laser. So mm-hmm. we managed to do a randomized study actually, uh, comparing the use of laser versus non-laser for hydrosulpings. And we found there's no difference. I presented the paper in one of the meetings and uh, I almost got killed because they say a good surgeon uh, should know how to use laser properly, and the results should be better than without laser. Uh, and I was discouraged and people told me not to publish it because you will get killed <laughs> on a paper. I published anyway, because it was a randomized study. It took me over a year to do it. We yeah. published it and it turned out that uh, it was, uh, Actually, actually, it was quoted over and over.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly associate you with tubal surgery. I, I actually was thinking about it. I was in the OR today doing a linear salpingostomy with our first year fellow. And um, she did a fantastic job for this ectopic, uh, but she had never done one in all of her residency, never seen one. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we were talking about the fact that there's this huge debate about what the role of tubal surgery is gonna be in this era of assisted reproduction. And, um, you know, it, it worries me to think that the art of tubal surgery may be lost over time, especially as things move to mags and, um, you know, fewer REI fellows are getting the surgical training they need. What would you say about that, having seen progress over the last several decades?
1: Well, it's true because I, I you know, the number of, pa- number of cases for tubal surgery has been getting much lower. You know, patient has, uh, Hydrosalpinx before IVF. Now we remove the hydrosalpinx rather than tuboplasty. tubal anastomosis. I rarely do it now. Uh, I used to do it um, almost every week. Uh, we rarely That's do my it. My
0: absolute favorite surgeries. That's what made me fall in love with REI.
1: Yeah, we we rarely do it at the most um, once every two three months. I do tubal anastomosis. Uh, and so everything is going down in terms of reconstructive surgery, but we do other things to increase the IVF success rate.
0: So what do you see the future role? I mean, there will be people out there listening to this who have passions like yours or like mine of you know spending their days in the OR in addition to doing IVF. Um, what would you say to someone like that coming through now?
1: You mean REI or? Yeah, REI. I think tubal surgery, uh, tubal anastomosis still has a very good uh, success rate. Uh, Patients who do not want IVF or cannot afford IVF, I think we still say uh, tubal surgery, uh, tubal anastomosis is still a good, uh, will give her a a good result. Of course we have to talk, talk to them about ectopic pregnancy this and that.
0: Do you do your anastomosis laparoscopically or robotically?
1: Uh, no, actually I don't. Uh, I use robot for two years for hysterectomy and myomectomy. And then I stopped. I think the number one, I think the, the docking time at that time was kind of long. And um, I can do more big cases in the day compared to the same case is using robot. So I don't use robot, but I do everything by laparoscopy. I don't do laparotomy at all. If patients want laparotomy, I send them elsewhere.
0: And I know you've been incredibly active in your research career. What are what are the some some of the things that you're researching now, and why have you chosen those things?
1: Well, I think now is endometriosis. Uh, I'm running the department and we have a phd who is uh, his research is uh, also involving endometriosis in fact we are looking at uh, wind signaling in mm-hmm. endometriosis and well is uh, we have a uh, high expectation maybe hopefully we can find the etiology of endometriosis? I don't think so. We are also... <laughs> I'd love
0: to see that in my lifetime. That would be great.
1: <laughs> we are also involved in uh, studies looking at markers in the endometrium and in the in the blood and hopefully we can diagnose endometriosis without surgery in the future.
0: There are yeah, so yeah.
1: many markers now but we don't know which is which but we are looking at that and we are We have uh, several epidemiological studies on endometriosis.
0: Do you think that will eventually put reproductive endosurgeons out of business? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so either.
1: I don't think so.